We're glad you're here today. We're um, going to continue in our second week in a sermon series titled Known. And just to bring up the speed a little bit, it's all kind of rooted in Psalm 139. If you've never read Psalm 139, you can read it like in a minute. You can read it really, really fast. It's, it's a beautiful song written by King David to God about experience with life with God. It's very honest. I love that about the Psalms. Uh, they say things that we want to say. Or maybe that we're afraid sometimes to say, if we made up a God of our own, we would be afraid to speak truth, and yet the psalmist is never afraid. So we, I love that about Psalms, but Psalm, and there's so much good stuff in the Psalms, but we've been studying Psalm 139 in this series called Known. And it's really kind of a, overarching a, a few ways. It's that we're, we must recognize that we're fully known by God. There's no mystery of us to God. You know, there's nothing for us to reveal to God that he doesn't already know about us. The reality that, that God is known to us, we're going to be talking about that coming up in the next few weeks as well, and that we're also known to one another, which is part of what we try to do as a church family, is to be known together, um, to know each other's stories, to, to, to love each other well, uh, to challenge one another when we get wrong thinking or wrong living, um, but certainly also to continue to encourage each other. Um, I've said it before, uh, I think... Um, our culture lives in like the survivor mentality of someone's always getting voted off. You know, you love these shows where people are kicked off the show. Um, there's something about the people of God where you don't get kicked out of the kingdom of God for being honest, right? Um, I think God only works in honesty, so that's true in community, and it's true in our relationship with him. So that's what this series is about is known, and to understand our value to God, um, which is kind of um, an interesting way to look at it. I'm going to read a story from uh, the Gospel of Luke today. We're working in two places today for this, this uh, series, and it's going to be in Luke 18 and uh, Psalm 139. So we're actually going to read Luke 18. You don't have to turn there right now if you don't want to, but you can. And if you do, go ahead and put your finger there to save it, because we're going to go back to 139 and then finish with Psalm 18, or Luke 18 when we're done. Um, this is what the, the word says. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and your mother. All these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Then Jesus, when Jesus heard this, he replied, uh, you still lack one thing, sell everything you own and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, then who can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. And then Peter says this, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God. No one who's left those things will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come, eternal life. I'm going to ask that we would pray, as we always do when we enter into God's word together, that he reveal himself to us today, and then we'll continue our uh, time in, in, in the Bible. Uh, Father, we just thank you so much for who you are today, and for your grandeur and your beauty, your wonder, your splendor. And it's not demonstrated here on a Sunday morning because we manifest your presence. It's actually the truth we live in, uh, the gospel truth of a God who spoke everything into existence and created us. And so today, Father, as we enter into your presence, um, it's more of an acknowledgement that you're here. It's more of a, an attempt by us, sin-filled people, to recognize you where you are and how you are. And our prayer then today is completely dependent on your grace and mercy to us. 
that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would show yourself, not that you're hiding, but that we can't see you of ourselves. We ask that you would, um, you know, open our minds and, and unclog our ears and, and unmask our eyes that we could see rightly the truth of who you are. And Father, um, as you do that work, I pray that we would respond with um, thanksgiving to you for, for doing that, for an awe of who you are and for worship um, because you're worthy. We, we thank you for the chance to gather together today to study your, your word to us. We pray that you would inspire us to understand it like you inspired people to write it. And we pray, Father God, um, this prayer that it would, it would really do the work in our lives that needs to be done, that we would be unafraid to open ourselves to you, that you could uh, transform us to be who you're calling us to be in this life. Um, it's a big ask. It's a, it's a hard thing. And so only you can do that. And that's why we pray it and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so I, we're going to start in Psalm 139, like I said. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Psalm 139, um, we're going to pick up where we left off last time. The entire series here has kind of been structured after, um, after the psalm. So if you're wondering kind of where we're heading, you can keep reading ahead and, and seeing what, what the Bible says. Um, so, and this is funny because I want to talk a little about scope here in Psalm 139. Um, Psalm 139 starts and ends, actually, if you read ahead, with the same idea that God searches us and knows us, right? And it starts off as kind of this view of our life like that. Um, it's kind of like a circle around our life and everything that we have. But then it's interesting because the psalmist, David, when he's talking to God, singing this song, it was actually written to be a song to God, he pulls out into this great scheme of um, all the places he could go and all the places he could run from God. So he goes from God, he says, God, you know me, to this bigger picture, right, of, of all that God sees, that there's no place we can flee from his presence, that even darkness doesn't hide us from him, that he knows us in all of our good and bad ways, and he's everywhere. And that's not like a threatening thing, but it's a loving thing, that there's no place we can go to be abandoned by God. Um, no place we can now pursue his desires for us. And then this week, it's interesting, because you kind of have this here, and you pull back in this really big picture of what God is at, and all of a sudden, the psalmist just, to me, the psalm, and you, when you read it, it just kind of goes into this really minutiae part of our life, this really tight part of our life that maybe we're not comfortable with, and that's why we're talking about um, intimately known this week, um, that not only does God know us, search us and know us, know our sinfulness, know our brokenness, know our need for him, not only does he cover all the places we could go, but today he starts to tell us through his word how intimately known we are, how beautifully and intimately known we are. And so it gets really, really tight here from, in the psalm for me. And you, you might disagree, and I would love to talk to you because I'm not saying I'm right, but that's what I read it. That's what I sense. Look at what it says. I'm going to go back and actually start in verse 11, which we talked about last week, but then we're going to go into 13 because it kind of gives us the context the psalmist writes and says, If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light becomes night around me, even the darkness will be not, not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, because darkness is as light to you. That's the context. There's nowhere to hide. And then look at what he says. Four. That's why I wanted to back up. Because you knit me, or you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. So see how we got this kind of scale of God. He's running from God and all these things. God's everywhere, and then God knows him in darkness. And then why? Because God always knew him, always knew him. It says, you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, listen to this, your eyes saw my unformed body. And I, I, I would you know, put to you that, that all those things that the psalmist writes today is this one truth, and it's this idea um, that Jesus created you. That Jesus made you. You know, you wonder why we make such a big deal about Jesus and a big deal about his call in your life and his, his ability to shape and form your life in a very real way, like not in the God out there way, but in an intimate, loving, internal way that he shapes us. It's because he, he created us. Jesus created us. Now, some of you who are Bible scholars, you might be like, now, wait a minute. You said Jesus created us, and what I see here is... Are we on here? They're good. Thanks, thanks. And so, um, that God made us, right? So it's Yahweh, the creator God, right? Um, it's the God who's so holy. You don't say his name out loud. You don't use all, all of his name. You, you just kind of breathe his name, the one that's holy. But I, I, but I said, you could say that means that Jesus created you. I'll tell you where I get that from, and I'll tell you why it matters so much to us. It's from John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Um, opens much like Genesis 1 opens. You know, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Um, the, the earth was formless and void, you know? I mean, there's this creation narrative. But listen to what John 1 says. It says, in the beginning was the Word. Now listen, and the Word was with God. Wait, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. And if you don't think that that's a big claim made by the Gospel of John, you're missing what the text says. The text says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1.14 that he manifests as a person of Jesus Christ. So it's more than, Jesus is more than just the Messiah who comes, he's more than just a teacher who comes to teach right things, but he's the manifestation of God's creation. He's, he's the fulfillment of who God is in human form, Jesus. And so with John 1, looking back then into what the psalmist is writing, I'm going to say these things today, that Jesus created you, that he created you. And I want to go back to the psalm and talk about ways that that matters. It says in Psalm 13, because you, you created my inmost being, you knit me together my mother's womb, right? I love that it, when it says that um, I, you created my inmost being, that, that we are, um, that he's intimately involved in our creation. I'll tell you a little secret. For new parents, we think we have a lot to do with our kids. I'm just saying. I remember when my babies were little, we thought, man, we did good. People even say it. You guys make beautiful children. I've heard that about my own. I don't know if you've heard about yours <laughs> not. I'm sure you have. It's a joke. You know, everyone thinks that. We make beautiful kids, right? But the truth is that as our children grow up, we realize that they aren't really ours at all. That they're small people that God made in our house. You know what I mean? Like, there's a thing we can do that we miss see that, and we think, and, and by the way, if, if you're a kid here, your parents can see you as an extension of them, you know? So all of a sudden, the choices you make, or the ways you go, or the things you do reflects who they are, and they get really frustrated with that, because, wait, you know, you came from me. How can you be so different than me? Or if you were born in a house with multiple siblings, how can you all be so different when, when you were born in the same house with the same people? The psalmist says it's because God knit you together in your mother's womb, he, he was intimately involved in your creation. As much as your parents want to take credit for how good you are at school or how attractive you are or, uh, or you know, how great choices you made in your life or whatever, <laughs> um, that, that God was inti intimately involved in it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says it this way. It says, God bought your guts. That's what the 
knit, you know, created you in your inmost being. He purchased, he paid for, he intimately fabricated who you are. And that's a crazy, crazy thing to realize about God. That it wasn't some absent-minded God. It wasn't like you showed up whenever you believed in Jesus and he's like, oh, look, who's here? I had no idea you were coming to the party. You know, He knew you. Now, get this. And it says, I, I knit you together in your mother's womb. He knit you. The psalm says, you knit me together in my mother's womb. And we have this idea of like God, like, you know, the crochet and other DNA strands and all that stuff works really well, right? But it's funny because... Um, it actually means that, and this is going to be striking to some of you, but it means that he covered your mother's womb. He protected it. Isn't it interesting? Now, I'm no Hebrew scholar, so there might be some reason that it says knit and not covered. But if you look at the place that word is used, it means to cover or to protect or to sanction or to sanctuary. Right? You're like, that's crazy. In other words, I was thinking back on this, and I was thinking, you know, there was a time, and maybe it's true for some of you who are here, where it was a very precious thing to have a child. You know, I feel like we live in a culture where it's like, we're kind of indifferent about childbirth. It's like, oh, good, you have babies, big deal, you know. There was a time when it was a real, like, wow, look how God has blessed you with this child. Look how he has blessed, your, you know, your mother's womb. Look, look how, look how you, you've protected my wife and my child. I mean, I'm telling you, and I've told you this before, but if there's no, there's no holier place to be than in the birth room of a child, it's ridiculous. The doctors peer up. It's amazing. And they see it. They, they, they were like, wow, it happened again. You know what I mean? A person came out of a person. Like, that's crazy, you know? That's crazy. That's how that happens. It's beautiful. And God's like, right, that's, that's what I do. I protect the mother's womb. And where we live, and I'm just going to say this, but where we live, man, you and I are walking miracles. You and I are walking miracles. Listen, we're walking miracles of our mother's choices, our mother's decision. Since I've been here, you can choose. Whether or not you, you deliver a child who's in your belly. There's no idea that God covered you in your mother's womb, that your mom was like, right, I'm going to see this through. This little pain in the butt that's coming, I'm going to see it through. You know? Or maybe your parents prayed that you would be here. They prayed, and they're like, God, would you just help us have a kid? You know? And then later you pray, God, help us not screw up a kid. And then later it's like, God, this is your kid. <laughs> you know? But God protected you. He sanctified that space. He made it holy so you could come out. And I don't care what you believe about creation and zygotes and divisions and cell reproduction and all that stuff that happens. The Bible says that God's intimately involved in that space. That's why everything the Bible talks about is holy. Because it's God's idea. He knit you together in your mother's womb. That's what the psalmist says. God, you know me so well. As if that wasn't uh, close enough. Uh, he goes on to say that, um, I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, right? I mean, the psalmist says of himself, like, there's things about me that terrify me that I don't even understand. And then this idea of being wonderfully made is like being set aside for a purpose. Like, I'm other, I'm severed, I'm, I'm, I'm connected but not connected. I have a mother, but I'm independent. I, I, I know you, but I'm, I'm severed from you in some way. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, all your works are wonderful. Boy, I tell you, if we could believe that truth, man, that would change everything, I think. Everything you've done, God, is wonderful. All the works of your hand are wonderful. All the people that I encounter are wonderful. 
That would change everything. Not like a positive thinking, but in the truth of what God says. The psalmist says, I know that full well. As if it's not intimate enough, look at what the psalmist says in 15. My frame, my bones, my structure was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. That goes even deeper beyond this moment of creation in the womb where God knits us together, protects us, and sanctifies our life into this idea that God sees us before we even begin to be created. Even the, the, the picture, and I don't know if you see that in the psalm, but the picture I, I kind of get here is this, um, it's like the master sculptor that has a big block of granite or of marble, you know? And, and if it's you or I, and we're looking at that, we're like, oh, look, Stonehenge. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm going to put this in my yard and call it the obelisk, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'll chisel my name in it, maybe. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what we, that's the totality of our vision. It's a big box, you know? Look, rock, you know what I mean? And the psalm, psalmist says, it's like the artist who sees that rock and says, no, there's something in there. There's something in there. I see it. That's crazy to me. You ever watch the sculptor work? You watch him work, you can't see what's coming out. He's kind of chinking off this and chinking that and, you know, heating this and doing all kind of, I love to watch artists work because you don't see it. You're like, what is this guy doing? What's this lady doing? And then all of a sudden it begins to show up, you know, like those old, uh, those old Kodak Instagmatic pictures that we fake on Instagram now. The image, that'd be kind of a cool thing if it would slowly develop on your phone instead of just instantly being there. Oh, filter, filter, filter. Now, it'd be fun to shake your phone and let it come to light. You should make an app like that, some of you young people. That'd be a million-dollar idea right there. I just gave it to you at church. You're welcome. Because it used to be you would wait. You would take a picture. come out. You know what I'm talking about. Anybody see one of those cameras? There, that's right. And you would shake it and blow on it, and all of a sudden, an image would just wreck it. Oh, I didn't know that was in there. That's what the psalmist says about you. Saw you in the dirt, in the depths, in the secret places where no one knows. And he's like, I'm going to do something really cool. Watch, I see it. It's going to come watch it. And he starts to shake it, you know, chisel it away. You see it come out. It's like, that's you. That's you. That's what the psalmist says. And, and before we get hung up on this idea, look how special I am. It's because of who made us, man. He formed us. If we believe that, if we knew that in our innermost being that he formed us, that he covered our mother's womb, he protected us it would change it would change everything one more thing i want to say about this idea of um of, of god uh, jesus creating us god creating us is that um it also means that he made decisions for us before we got here that's what it means and i've talked about this a little bit before mother's day but it really does mean that that he puts you in, in your mother for a reason you know um he puts you in your family for a reason uh, he puts you in your community for a reason he puts you in your country, the political environment you come up in, for a reason. Like, he's intentional about that. It's not like, it's not like he's got a cosmic salt shaker and he's like, let's just see where all these people end up. You know what I mean? It's not what, now you can believe that, by the way, extra biblically. You can say, that's what I believe. It's all a big accident if I was born in India, blah, blah, blah. But if you wrote the psalmist just wrote, he said, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Like, that's an on-purpose decision by God that he made a decision. This is where this one's going to come from. This is where that picture is going to develop from. This is what's going to happen. It's going to shape that child's life. This is what's going to come up in. And he did that for a reason. 
And the psalmist recognizes that. So biblically, you'd have to say, there's a reason I'm in this family. There's a reason I have these parents. There's a reason I have these kids. There's a reason I'm in this community. There's a reason I don't have these kids. There's a reason. You know what I'm saying? Everything. All of a sudden, it's God's sovereign choice. He's intimately involved. He loves you and knows you. And none of it's punitive in nature. It's, it's this loving interaction that God has with his people, um, revealing himself in Jesus. What is he doing? What is he doing? Um, before I move off this, I want to go back and say one thing. I don't know. I talk about this uh, twice a year, it seems. Um, but right now, we're in the middle of the 40 Days for Life prayer campaign. And I say this very graciously to you as a fellow believer in Jesus and one who just prays. You can always pray for people, no matter what's going on. No matter what, you know, your conflict, your position is on something. Pray. Just pray for God's sovereignty over the whole thing, you know. Uh, pray for his uh, inner, inner uh, what do you call it, intercession or inner interaction or uh, inserting himself in the middle of a mess. Uh, pray it for your own heart. Um, we're right in the middle of a 40-day prayer campaign um, that, about this very issue that God knits young life together, and that should mean something to all his people. Um, and it should certainly mean something to us who believe what the Bible says is true. Uh, we pray and we seek him out. We seek understanding about why we're in a certain family. Um, going into that now, as, um, the second idea is that um, Jesus knows your story, right? So that's, uh, yeah, Jesus knows your story. Um, so all of a sudden, if we recognize that we are, um, that um, my frame, we're, our frame's not hidden, that we were made in a secret place, that we were woven together in the depths of the earth, um, that his eyes saw our unformed body, and look, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one came to be. Right? That's the next thing the psalm says. Not only were you intimately involved in my creation, not only did you make me who I am, quirky, not only did, but listen, none of my days uh, came to be. All the days ordained for me that were set ahead of me but before the creation began, everything that was coming for me says, um, God, God knew what was coming. Uh, all the days for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. And, and all of a sudden, you go from a God who made you, who kind of made you, wound you up, and set you loose to see what would happen, what crazy things, you know, what are they going to get into this week, you know? Into a God who knows our story, who knows our days, who knows what's coming, and who has some sovereign choice over all these things. And he's saying, this is what I, this is what I have coming. This is what, there's a good reason for all this. Um, God, God knows your story. Um, I love that it says uh, you, you, he sees our unformed body, our full potential. You know, uh, like I talked with the sculptor. I mean, this idea, and I don't know if we see it in each other, man. And I'm not talking, I'm going to be clear, because I know I always do this, but I want to be clear that I'm not talking about like, you know, your potential. Like, man, look how far you could go. But saying, look, if you, would, if you were to be who you are, if you would fully be who you are, God will use that in a mighty way. N not trying to, we talked to people about jamming ourselves into a mold, but just letting God take off the edge, letting God make us right, letting God shape us in his image, instead of kind of trying to pre-mold ourselves into what we think God wants from us. It would change everything. It says, uh, he saw our potential. He knows your story. All the days are ordained. I mean, that one truth has sweeping implications for our lives. Sweeping implications, you know. That, that means the moment that we hit that wall, the moment we have that crisis, the moment we find that, that tragedy, uh, you know, the moment the day doesn't go like we thought it was going to go, 
we can kind of go, wait a minute. This is no surprise to God. The God who loves me and made me and knows me, the God that made me my mother's womb, this is no surprise to them that this day was coming. That, 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 that God isn't like, wow, you know, that's a shock to me. And in that moment, we can get some kind of a ballast or some kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, it can be just so disorienting, unhinged from all reality. But when you recognize, you're like, wait, wait. I have this thing that I say sometimes where um, I say, oh, everything has changed, but nothing has changed. Does it feel that way sometimes? Like, at the end of the day today, everything might be changed for you. And you can fall in that pit and be like, everything changed. All that I knew is lost and everything. And if you can get your eyes on Jesus, man, if you can fix your eyes on the eternal God who made you and knows you, all of a sudden you can go, but nothing's changed. Right? What can man do to me? What can happen in this life that could tear me from the grip of my Savior, Jesus? Nothing. Nothing's changed. Our experience here. All of a sudden, the sweeping implication begins to be that the things that we experience in life shape us into who God is, is calling us to be. Um, another thought with this is whenever you have this idea that God ordains all the days that you have, is that Jesus, I said Jesus knows your story. I want to say this is a little more radical, but Jesus is in your story all the time. Right now, he's in your story. He's there. You ought to look around and see he's there somewhere. You don't realize this until you come to know Jesus as Savior. But you realize, man, you, you've always been there. <laughs> like, how did I miss it all? We prayed a minute ago that God would sh let us see him. Not because he's not here. We don't say, God, will you please show up? It's like, God, let us see you because you're here. Just let us have eyes to see that. Because our experience is that if we come to know Jesus as Savior, we look back and we're like, Jesus, you were always there. You're always there. I, I, uh, I have a, something I want to share with you. There was this author that really um, impacted me whenever I was um, new in my faith. Many authors did, to be honest. I read a lot of books when I was new in the faith, and I loved to hear Christian testimonies. But one of the things that I really dug, man, I dig, I dig right-thinking people. Okay, let me be real clear. I dig people who write really boring books about systematic theology and, you know, connecting all the pieces. I, I like that. You know, how's how the machine works. You know what I mean? I dig those people. But I also dig those people that come out of left field. They're like, woo, you know what I mean? And you're like, that's a Christian? That dude's crazy, you know? And I love those people too because they come in a whole different way from Jesus and their experience with Jesus. Um, and I love them because they begin to tell the story of a God who loves us so radically that he's always there no matter what, you know? The gospel that says that Jesus is forgiving your sins no matter what. The, the gospel says that there's no sin that can separate you from the love of God, that there's no hand that can snatch you from the presence of God, that you're in his kingdom. He has chosen you. You're loved by him, and that's the end of it. It's the end of it. Uh, one of those authors is, um, is uh, Anne Lamont, and it's so funny because I read this book, and I just remember the story, and I want to share it with you. Um, she wrote a book called Traveling Mercies, and I'm not holding her, but she's just a fellow believer in Jesus. And I want to tell you, because this is what I want to say, is that Jesus is there in your life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Right? The good, the bad, and the ugly. He's there for all of it. There's no part of it that he's like, you know, oops, missed that day, or wasn't present. Sorry, uh, I was sleeping in that day. That's not the way Jesus works. Um, and Anne, in her book, Traveling Mercies, tells a story. I want to read it to you, because I, I just think it's so beautiful, of this God of grace who, who knows us and, uh, and just loves us. Um, this is actually taken from an online article about the book, and it says that Anne Lamont was 30 years old 
and she was living in a houseboat in California, trying to be an author in the daytime and drinking herself into oblivion every night. On Sunday mornings, when she, when she was, quote, hungover or coming off of a cocaine binge, she would wander over to the local flea market to see what was going on. One Sunday, as she was on the way to the flea market, she noticed some gospel music coming from a church across the street. It was St. Andrew's Presbyterian Church. She says, quote, I began stopping in at St. Andrew's from time to time, standing in the doorway to listen to the songs. The sanctuary was drab and run down, but it had a congregation of 30 or so people who were just radiating kindness and warmth. The sermons were usually all about social injustice and Jesus, which would be enough to send me running back to the sanctuary of my flea market. That April, she discovered that she was pregnant. She goes on to say this. The father was someone that I had just met who was married and no one that I ever really wanted a real life with. So she decided to have an abortion. After the abortion, she says, I was sadder than I had been since the day that my father had died. Drinking and pills began to dull the pain. And one night, laying in utter darkness, she says this, quote, I became aware that there was someone with me, hunkered down in the corner of the room. She says that she knew instantly that was Jesus. She said, I felt him just sitting down his haunches in the corner of my sleeping loft. watching me with patience and love. Man. A God who waits. That's crazy. For the next few days, she sensed that Jesus was following her everywhere she went. She says, quote, like a little cat. And then finally she says, after being pursued, she took a long, deep breath, and she said to herself out loud, all right, you can come in. For the next few days, or looking back, she says, quote, I was dying, and I was given a second chance. I do believe that day I was truly saved. But she did not become a new person overnight. It took a year for her to kick her addiction to drugs and alcohol and can heal from her decision. It's a story of just unending presence and grace. And I love those people because they aren't systematic but they experience what God is doing in the moment. I, I, I weep not because of Anne's story, but my own. I don't know if you have those times in your life where you just think, God wasn't there. And you recognize that he was there the whole time. And I don't mean he was there in a way that he was blessing what's happening, because some awful things have happened in rooms that we've been in, in our lives. Awful things. And I also don't mean that he was there in a way that he was weeping in the corner like he could do nothing to change it. I mean he was there bearing testimony to his eternal love and grace. He was in the room. I don't know if you have those things in your life that you struggle with and you wonder where was God. But we serve a God who is present. We think about Jesus knowing our story. And we recognize that everything matters to God. There's no part of it that didn't matter. There's no part of it that was wasted. It was useless. I don't know what your story is. I, as, I, as I grow older, I realize that my childhood defines me a lot. A lot more than I want to admit, you know. Um, I recognize a few things about myself. That one thing is when I was, li when I was a little dude in grade school, I was picked on all the time. 
That sucks. It sucks. I, I, and I don't even know why it happened all the time. I think as I grew up, I realized why the kids were doing it. But at the time, I didn't make it, my little world didn't make any sense. And yet I recognize it even there. Listen, uh, that God was shaping me. You know? He wasn't saying, boy, that's good, ain't it, that they're beating him up. But I feel like in that moment, he was pulling out this heart of compassion in me that you, you don't do that to other people. Be a defender of the weak. Don't, don't participate when everyone's going along. I can't stand here and see I've done that perfectly because I've failed at that. I've been in the crowd going, hit him again. That sucks. Because who should know better than me? You know? Um, I think about whenever I was a, a kid and um, I, um, I felt inadequate at school. <laughs> you know, when I was little, I felt inadequate at school. I kind of felt like I was dumb. Um, I, 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 I don't know why. I couldn't pronounce my S's right. Did anybody have that? Uh, <laughs> and, and so you go to the special education room to learn how to say S's. And then people are like, oh, we had to go to the room and learn S's. They're like, it's just S's. You start to think you're inadequate for school. It takes years till you get to college and you realize, I'm pretty good at school. I wasn't bad. It's an experience. God was there teach me again to love people who are different, who think differently, who struggle to form a thought. Don't do that perfectly. I realized it in my own story. And I'm just telling you, it's not so you can all look at Bill. Look at, no, no, no. But what is your story? Man, that stuff, it shapes you as an adult. And if you're a kid right now, you're like, you're just coming out of that. You're an adolescent. You're, you're running from it fast. But eventually, you're going to have to realize that this stuff's all for a reason. And, I, and the third thing I recognized I was thinking this is, you know, this longing I had for a father, a longing I had for a dad in my life. You know that story, part of my story, but get this, man. This is the newest news that God revealed to me. I was longing for a dad in my life, and I was ignoring the one that God gave me, my stepfather. That's twisted, right? Blended families are hard, but my stepdad loved me as best he could. I just missed it all those years. I was so busy being angry, telling God what I didn't have. Jesus is there in the room with us. I wonder what part of your story do you think that Jesus doesn't know? What part of your story, when you read that word that said, you knew all the days before one of them came to thee, what part of your story did you go, man, I'll look back on that, and Jesus wasn't there at all. I would challenge you to consider those things. I, don't, I think that's antithetical to the gospel truth. He's always been there. He's always loved us. Nothing's changed. It's beautiful and it's, it's, it's true. All the days were ordained for us. I told you we're going to end in Matthew 18 and we're going to do that now. So go ahead and if you would flip to Matthew 18. I want you to see that this isn't just like a psalm thing, like an Old Testament thing, you know, that happened in the first book, but this idea that Jesus created us, Jesus knows our story, and that Jesus is going to call us out, you know. Um, one of the things we see right now, we hear a lot about people coming out. This is especially true in the LGBT community, right? Um, people who are choosing a homosexual lifestyle, and, and, and they, they talk about having this coming out thing. Then we're going to finally tell the truth to the world about who we are. And, and, and as I listen to that, I'm like, you know, there's, there's truth in that, that we all need to come out. 
that we all need to come clean. Where the story breaks down for me, though, is to act as if that coming out is the final dot on the sentence of our life. And here I am, I'm fully known. That's not the gospel. The gospel is here I am, I'm fully known, and I'm ready to be changed. What would you have for me, God? Who are you calling me to be? And that's where I get discouraged with the stories I hear because they end right there in hopelessness, in brokenness, and in some form of stuckness that you cannot change. That's not the gospel of Jesus, though. As we read in Luke 18, we're going to hear a story about a person who needs to change. It's, it's going to be um, Luke 18, 18 is where we're going to start. Uh, it says, a certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers this way, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I just want to stop and recognize what Jesus did before he said anything else. The guy says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus challenges him on why he would think that Jesus is worth listening to. Why do you call me good? Who am I? Only God is good. Right? I told you earlier from the Gospel of John, Jesus is God incarnate in the flesh. And it's true here when he's talking to this man. This, this young ruler, it's, it's true. He's saying, that's kind of what Jesus is saying is like, why would you call me good? Only God's good. He's not saying I'm not God. He's not saying I'm not good. He's saying God is good. You are right. I'm God. Why do you call me good? He goes on to answer the guy's question. He says, um, you know the commandments. So I want to talk for a minute about um, Jesus calling us out. Because this guy comes to Jesus as if Jesus doesn't know him. This guy comes to Jesus as a stranger would come to Jesus. And he says, what must I do to be saved? Right? And after God, Jesus corrects that kind of thinking about goodness, he says, what? You already know. You already know. That's striking to me that he says that to this man. If I was that dude, I would want to know there's something I knew you needed to tell me. There's something else, right? But he comes and he says, what must I do? And he says, you already know what you must do, right? And he quotes, he quotes to the guy the law. What you must do to be righteous and holy in God's sight. What's required of you as a believer in Yahweh, the creator God. And then the young man says this, I've kept all of those since I was a boy. Again, I want you to see, as if Jesus doesn't know his story. You don't know who you're talking to, Jesus. I've kept the law. Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to. It's no mystery to him. When we, when we, when we say, um, you know, we're, we, we, we have these things, we come to Jesus and we say, this one time, Jesus, I don't know where you were in the room or this one thing. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've been through. We're talking to the God who made us, knit us together, and he does know us. He does know us. So when the guy says to him, I've kept the law since I was a boy, Jesus says, what? There's one thing you lack. See, he knows. He knows what the kid's counting on for righteousness and holiness. He knows how hard he's tried. He knows how much he's tried to shape himself and, and be God-honoring apart from Jesus. And so Jesus says, there's one thing that you lack still. I think if we go into this and we read this story as only about money, we miss the point. Give away all that you have. I know I've spoke to many people who follow Jesus and they say, I'm, I've always been poor and I give everything to Jesus. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> you know? That's not your problem, man. But all of us have stuff. It's that, listen, it's that thing that we cling to more than we cling to Jesus. 
Because you know the story. The guy goes away sad because he has much wealth. You know what it says in the text? The man has much wealth. The boy kept the law, but the man was sad because he had much wealth. What is it for you, that one thing that you say, this is more important than Jesus to me? It could be money for you. It, it could be something, another idol in your life. I, I, honestly, something I've seen a lot as a pastor is people who cling to hurt, to wounds, to failures, to disappointments, more than they cling to Jesus. I've, I've given everything I have to the church. I, I've, I've done everything. And Jesus would say, there's one thing you lack. There's something you want more than me. What is it? This idea, it cuts into our, our heart. And um, the other people see it because they say, well, they're all cut. They say, well, what, what can we do to be saved? You see, what can we do? And Jesus says, with people it's impossible, but with God it's possible. You need Jesus in your life. I don't mean you need Jesus in your life to save you from your past sins, but going forward you can do good enough by yourself. I, I don't mean that, that you need Jesus for now until things get better financially, and then you'll be okay. I, I don't mean you need Jesus for the crisis that you're in. Or for even that healing that right now that you brought to mind that's from your past, that you're like, oh, if Jesus could get me through that, I'd be fine on my own. I mean, you need Jesus in an eternal and never-ending way. You need him to always be in the room. You need to always recognize him there. Always talk to him there. Always listen to what he has to say to you there. Jesus calls us out from the things that we cling to the most. And so today, what's the one thing for you that you cling to more than Jesus? Here's the truth, and I'm going to end with this. Here's the truth. Letting go of that thing is hard. If you've read any serious Christian writer, if you've talked to any Christian follower who's willing to be honest and known to you, they will tell you that that is hard, that there is great. If I let go of this, what will I have? And for some people, even if that thing that they hold on to is hurt, or if that thing that they hold on to is failure, if I let go, what will be left for me? And the biblical answer is nothing but Jesus. If I let go of the money, what's here? Nothing. If I lost my job, what? Jesus. If my marriage didn't work, what would I cling to? Jesus. If my marriage did work, I didn't fight with my spouse, what would I cling to? Jesus. Do you know what I mean? We have this opportunity before us today to believe that good news. That it's no mystery and that God is calling us out of darkness and into the light in Jesus Christ. So a few questions and I'm going to pray. But what part of your story needs to be redeemed? I mean redeemed like pulled from the trash heap, cleaned up, made right. I don't know, man. I still got stuff in my story that needs to be cleaned, made right. What, what sin do you harbor in your life? What, what sin are you hiding in darkness and you're just hoping that no one ever finds out? If they ever found out, if God ever knew, I'd be doomed. Or what sin are you harboring that someone else did against you 
You're like, I can forgive everyone for everything, but not him or her for that. Everyone else is okay, but not that sin. Those are things that we're clinging to more than Jesus. Or what things do we need to be called out of and healed from in our lives? I'm going to ask that you would pray. But I mean, I'm talking, this is like big stuff. And so if you, you, you can just talk to God um, on your own. You don't have to listen to my words. Just talk to him about what's going on in your heart. But we're going to pray and ask he would continue to do this work in our lives. I, I feel this kingdom calling uh, to run to him, to be pure in him, and to not count any of our own righteousness. So pray with me if you would. Father, today um, we give you thanks and praise for your presence with us. And Lord, we come, all of us, from different backgrounds and stories and we have some messed up stuff that's happened, and we've heard today from the text that every day was ordained before one came to be, that you knew where we would start, where we'd be, and where we'd end. And today, um, I love that song we sang that says, your salvation's enough for us. I mean, that we would be delivered eternally into your presence, that we would be able to see with clear eyes and hear with clear ears your uh, story of love and redemption for ourselves. But today, I know I got friends here who are just down in the pit, man, and they're like stuck, and they can't see how to get out of it. And I pray that today your Holy Spirit would compel them to reach for Jesus, uh, that they would just know he's there, that indeed you would deliver them from this pit of death into new life. And I can't say how much I believe this as a child of yours, but that you would deliver them into your kingdom and into your, your paternity, into your family of faith, that they could truly be free. Oh, that they would be free in you. And Father, today as we've come to hear, hear your word preached and to know you and to love you more fully, I pray that we would all respond with a radical call to believe the gospel. That we would all have the courage to be honest and know and love you and be loved by you anyway. Um, you would do your work in those holy places of honesty. I just thank you so much for the work and the opportunity we have to do it. I pray, Father God, your, your son's name over all of it because he's the only one that can do this work. There's no other name on this planet that can do this work except for Jesus. And we pray that you would do all these things in his holy name. Amen.